Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Iggy, or Iggy for short, and this is Iggy's Sports Talk. So I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in to episode 60 of Iggy's Sports Talk. Today, I have a very special guest on the show with me. I have the pleasure of talking to Ryan Westmoreland, who is a former Red Sox prospect. And Ryan, it's it's an honor talking to you, man. And it's it's really something where I love your story. I, I love how you've been able to find light in the unfortunate things that happened throughout your baseball career and have been able to help other people throughout your experience. That's something that I'm trying to do through this podcast is um, allowing my audience to learn from other people's experiences and try to connect them to their own experiences in their lives. Um, but I wanted to start off really with uh, with 2020, such an unfortunate time. A lot of things really happen to people where they look at it in a negative light. And I was just wondering, what was your favorite moment of the year 2020? Well, well, certainly my my favorite moment was I got married in 2020 um, to my beautiful wife, Libby. Um, originally, we had planned it um, for late June um with about 175 200 people um and you know given this this past year we weren't able to have that um that many people um but it was it did open up enough to be able to have you know 20 30 close family and friends um we had a little ceremony at the church um certainly wasn't the the 200 person big wedding that you you think you're gonna have um but it was great it was it was quiet it was you know, it was very um, intricate. Um, it was just us, uh, some family, like I said. Um, and then, and then, you know, we had, uh, you know, postponed the big reception, um, and we were able to to postpone that until actually in about two weeks in in July, July eighth. Um, we're going to be allowed to have the um, two hundred person reception that we we initially were going to have, which is which is really cool. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough going through the whole thing last year, um, with the wedding planning and all that, but it worked out. Um, and then, you know, in a few weeks here, we're going to really be able to celebrate. Right. That, that must've been amazing, especially being able to at least have that intimate sort of experience where, mm -hmm. uh, you were still able to have the wedding. Uh, obviously, like you said, it must've been tough having to wait, but, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome that you're still able to have that 200 person sort of celebration. Mm -hmm. And um, as well as uh, you're going into it already, already married. And, already and married. So, so. And so, and so it'd be great to be able to uh, sort of get those wedding jitters out of the way and just be able to enjoy the people around you. Yeah. And I, I think we're, we're really excited because not only for us, you know, this is a big celebration for us, but it's also coming at a time where it's a big, you know, people have been locked in their house for almost a year. Right. And so to be able to get invited to go out to a wedding and just, you know, let loose a little bit, it's going to be the first time for a lot of people. Um, and I think so. I think this is coming at a great time. Yeah, I completely agree. And then, and then also the other thing to add is uh, you're going to be bringing another person with you that you didn't have before. Uh, you, you, you just had a baby girl mm -hmm. and uh, you must be super excited to be able to have her there uh, during this whole big celebration. I bet, I bet there's a lot of people, like you said, 200 people are going to that reception who haven't been able to meet your girl in person. And uh, you're probably super excited to be able to uh, introduce her essentially to everybody that's important to you. Exactly. I mean, this whole time, obviously we want everyone to see the newborn, but, you know, given that the, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff, we, we didn't um, obviously let a whole lot of people see her. Um, so they've been just seeing, you know, Facebook pictures and text messages, pictures and stuff like that. So, um, no, it's going to be great, especially for, you know, the family and friends we have traveling because, um, you know, they're going to, you know, they're coming a long way to see me and Libby. And, and obviously now there's a third person to see. So it's going to be exciting. And how has it been so far? Uh, is life as a dad? What was it? Was it sort of what you expected or is there a little bit more? Um, that goes into it than you expected no it's it's about what I expected obviously I'm uh, you know I'm one of the first of my group of friends to have a baby so I don't have a whole lot of 
you know, people to help me with their, their experiences and stuff like that. Um, but we lucked out. I mean, I, she, she sleeps great already. She sleeps through the night. Um, she doesn't cry a ton, um, you know, knock on wood, because she's only three <laughs> months old. That could change very quickly. Um, but no, I, I, I love it. I love being a dad. And I think, you know, she's, she's going to grow up in a good home and, um, you know, she, everyone's happy, everyone's healthy. And, you know, that's the most important thing. Right. That's all that matters. And, and wow, that's, that's, that's very, uh, unusual for a baby to not be crying all the time. And, yep. uh, you, you, it sounds like you got a good winner there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like I said, the knock on wood, cause you never know, you never know. Right. Exactly. I completely agree. But I, I wanted to sort of get into um, your time early on um, as, as, as a baseball player and really sort of striving towards that dream of going towards the MLB. And I was wondering, when did that dream first be planted in your mind to where you're like, if I'm able to get there, that'd be incredible. Yeah, well, I think as, you know, being a dream, I think it's just a little league, you know, I'm from Rhode Island, I grew up always wanting to play for the Red Sox. So it was certainly always a dream of mine. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it became a reality until probably my sophomore, junior year of high school when, when um, you know, scouts were there every day and I was getting phone calls left and right. Um, you know, I grew up playing multiple sports, soccer, basketball, football, um, all kinds of sports and just staying active. So really didn't, I didn't zone in on baseball. I, I would say until, you know, sophomore year when I realized that, you know, I could play this sport at the next level and I love doing it and everything about it. And, you know, I would say, you know, maybe I do have a future playing this game. Right. And was, was there anybody during that process who, really doubted you in any way because I, I know anytime I said oh you know I, my dream is to be a baseball player there, there's always people who are like well that's one in a million that's that's less mm -hmm. than winning the lottery or uh you know that's gonna be so tough to do and and how were you able to stay determined on that dream if there, even if there was doubters yeah there I mean there certainly were I don't know who or you know but you know growing up in Rhode Island a little little state like this it's um, you don't see a whole lot of the professional athletes coming out of Rhode Island, at least in, you know, the early 2000s or 2008. Um, so I certainly had to overcome, you know, being a kid from Rhode Island, not having played a ton of, you know, travel AAU baseball. Um, so the, the perspective is that, you know, or perception is that, you know, kid from Rhode Island, you know, he's not going to make it. He might be pretty good. Um, but once he gets playing with, you know, college kids and kids from California and Texas and, you know, the big, big baseball states, um, you know, we're, we doubt that he's going to really make it that far. So um, I didn't, you know, I didn't set out in baseball to prove them wrong. I just kind of, you know, went about my business just like I always had. Um, just played the game that I loved, wasn't worried about, you know, the fact that I was from Rhode Island. Um, just kind of took it one day at a time and um, it was certainly overwhelming um, to have, you know, hundreds of scouts at every game. Um, but I, you know, took that in stride and took that day by day um, and eventually, you know, got to where I wanted to go. And for all the people around that maybe would think you know, Rhode Island does not have any you know, athletes or baseball talent, um, myself, Rocco Baldelli, um, a few other Rhode Island guys said I'm wrong. Um, and I think now Rhode Island is on the map as far as baseball. We have a lot of talent um, to coach at the high school level. So I've seen it firsthand. Um, the talent is there and we're going to recognize more, which is, which is big. Oh yeah. 100%. And uh, as you know, I'm, I'm from New Hampshire. So with, with the new England sort of, Aurora around baseball, you know, we, we have to train indoors during the winter. Yeah. Wow. You look at, like you said, Florida, Texas, California, have the opportunity to train all year round. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. also where, you know, most of the big schools are and, and where a lot of the hype players are. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome that you were able to block out all that noise, even if there was like hundreds of scouts there for you. And, you know, you might have felt a little bit of pressure. You sort of helped use that pressure to fuel you to play better. 
Yeah, I did. I I did. I certainly wasn't, you know, before every game saying there's so many people around the country that don't think I'm any good. But, um, you know, I just did what I knew how to do, what I love to do. And, um, you know, certainly helped put Rhode Island baseball on the map um, because there's talent here and um, it's getting recognized, which is which is a good thing. And, you know, as a player, I just wanted to get to the highest level I could. Um, I wasn't worried about, you know, proving people wrong. It was more about blocking everything out and just playing, playing baseball. If I made it to the major leagues, I made it. If I, you know, didn't make it past high school, I didn't, but you know, I worked hard. I, I, and I love playing. Right. That's a great way to look at it. And I, I think that's something where like, a lot of sports, especially baseball is going right now, just focusing on making sure that the kids are having fun and that there's not that immense pressure that you have to be somewhere or, or, you know, you have to win. Um, I I think that's a perfect way to look at it, especially Um, I've gotten really into uh, Mike stud, um, the artist and high school. And uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a lot about as well. Like, the same thing that you said, like that people look at Rhode Island kids and they're like, yeah, they're not going to get anywhere. And, you know, he, he's a perfect example. He went to Duke. He has the best ERA there in, in history. Unfortunately, he had Tommy John surgery and stopped playing, but uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing how like, especially you're one of the guys and he's one of the guys. And like you said, Rocco Baldelli is their pioneering for um, a state like Rhode Island, especially New England. Right. Right. And then just as you were going out of high school, you had the opportunity to go to Vanderbilt as well on a scholarship. And uh, exactly. There we go. (laughs) And um, what was sort of your feeling about getting drafted out of high school? Was was there really any pressure to it? And and did you have in the back of your mind, like, could I be making a mistake by not going to college first? Well, that that was a, a crazy time. I literally, you know, had my bags packed for Vanderbilt because um, you know, I wasn't in many, if any, mock drafts, so mm-hmm. I really didn't even think I was going to get drafted. And if I did, it was going to be so late, like, you know, we're going to go to Vanderbilt, which is great. And I was excited. Um, so, but it really became really overwhelming, you know, the week or so before the draft when I started getting calls left and right. And my name was on ESPN every night. Um, on all of these mock drafts and these big name guys and, you know, analysts on, on TV, you're talking about me. Um, so at that point, I, I had no idea. I didn't know where I was going to go. I still didn't know if I was going to go in the draft. And, um, you know, it's committed to a school like Vanderbilt, where I was so excited to go there and be a part of that and play under coach Tim Corbin. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, my ultimate goal is to play for the Boston Red Sox or play in the major leagues. Um, and if something happened and it was the right situation, um, then I would I would feel like, you know, I could make it to the major leagues. And whether it was college or pro, I wanted to take the, the quickest way to that goal. Right. And it's, so it certainly wasn't a case of I don't want to go to Vanderbilt. It was more a case of this is my path. This is what the route I'm going to go to make it to the major leagues. Um, so, you know, I got a, I got a call on draft morning saying, Hey, we're going to take you six overall, or I don't, I forgot the number, but, um, and so for me, I was like, what? Cause at this point my bags are still packed and I'm still ready to go to Nashville, which is, which I'm so excited for. Um, but then I start, my phone starts, you know, I'm getting calls every two, three minutes. Um, or text messages or emails or whatever. And um, so it was a crazy, crazy 24 hours of the draft and all that went along with it. But um, I think I made the right choice and um, it was, it was a day I'll never forget. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I bet. Especially growing up as a Red Sox fan. I mean, you see behind me, I mean, that, that was my yeah. dream growing up and, and, and <laughs> yeah. like, just like you have that in that mind, being able to play at Fenway park and uh, it, it must have been incredible, obviously, at 18, 19 years old to see that dream essentially becoming a reality. But mm-hmm. um, especially with getting drafted where you did. And then um, I also read as well, you, you got a $2 million signing bonus. Was there any sort of sense of pressure on your shoulders to live up to those expectations um, of that money figure and where you got picked? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, 
like three threefold this um answer is and you know one still being a kid from rhode island um you know i was good at baseball but a lot of people would have said you know he's still from rhode island like who knows like he hasn't played a ton out in texas and you know against all those guys so there's those that pressure um the money pressure obviously huge just because you get kids around around the country that don't get much money um, so they're probably doubting whether I'm going to live up to the amount of money. Um, so there's pressure there. And, you know, again, you know, being drafted by the Boston Red Sox, being from Rhode Island, I was a local kid. So that comes with an unbelievable amount of pressure because essentially everyone in New England, including the Boston Red Sox media, is looking at this local kid. Right. And saying, hey, the, the Red Sox took their own or took the New England kid. Let's see if he can live up to, to what goes on here. So there was three, you know, monumental forms of pressure. Um, and for an 18-year-old kid from Rhode Island, you know, not a ton of baseball experience. That was, that was certainly a tough thing to, to adjust to at first. Oh, true. I, I bet. I, I didn't even think about the whole like Boston media part of it as well, because I bet any time you even just were around like Rhode Island, just coming back home or that sort of stuff, you know, that's all people would really talk to you about. And okay. it's, it's something where like, even if like, you had an incredible first season, but let's say you hit like in the one hundreds mm-hmm. and you didn't live up to those expectations, like you would be walking around in fear that people weren't going to really treat you right or, or say something to you. And, just like that anxiety must have um, been tough, at least at first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even things like going out to dinner or going out golfing with my friends, just mm-hmm. just never knowing who's out there and, you know, what they're expecting of you. And, you know, I didn't obviously didn't want to disappoint anyone. Right. But at the same time, I wanted to just say, you know, you know, back off. Let me play. Let me just yeah. let me just go out and, and do what I do. And. You know, I was lucky enough to have a really good first year, um, which in turn came with even more pressure. Um, but, you know, I was I was able to, to kind of, as the season went on, kind of mature and, and understand this is this is Boston. Right. I bet right after you got drafted, like, I mean, you're, you're 18, 19 years old. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. And, and so, like, like you said, you matured a little bit through that time being with the team. But mm-hmm. at first, like, you're, you're really just trying to figure out what the, what the heck this is. You just, you just literally just graduated high school. Like, yeah. me thinking in my mind, graduating high school, like, where I was, like, compared to now, like, is, like, massive. And right. um, especially with all the Boston media and stuff. And so, like, how were you able to stay determined throughout that first season and just continue trying to do your best and get better every single day? Yeah, well, it, it started um, in 2008 when I got drafted. It was, I think the draft was June 5th, um, and school didn't end until June 20th. So wow. here I am literally in class, you know, getting talked to by everyone in the school and their right. parents and, and all that stuff. And so that's huge pressure is just being that guy, get drafted out of a small school in Rhode Island, um, having, to, having to think about what's going on, um, you know, but, but I had a, you know, I'm from a great place, Portsmouth. Um, and so I had a ton of support, which is great. Um, you know, but when I went up to, to Lowell for my first season, it was that, you know, that media circus that we just talked about. They had, a, you know, the, before opening day, there's kind of a media day. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for a single A team, it's not a huge deal. But I think from being from Rhode Island, being that local kid, there was, you know, probably 60, 70 reporters there just to talk to me. Not about, you know, not really about baseball, about my high school stats or anything more about, how does it feel to be from Rhode Island and to now be with the Red Sox? And so that was a ton of pressure. And that was before my first pro game. Um, wow. So this, yeah, so that was, that was tough. That was a whirlwind. Um, but as the season went on, I really matured. I was obviously on a team full of college kids, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, was, I matured. I was, I was, you know, I was, 
one of the only, probably one of the only 17 or 18, 19 year old kids in that league. Um, you know, I played well. I kept my head down. I was respectful um, about, you know, the with the older kids that obviously played college and I didn't. Um, and the media was great because, I mean, I say this, they were great because I did well. And right. um, that was that was a big benefit of playing well. Um, but it was fun. I mean, because here I am 18 years old and I'm getting paid to play baseball. You know what I mean? Not a whole lot of kids get to get to say that. So it was really cool. And, and, you know, after that first season, getting the, you know, baseball America top prospect and the Red Sox top prospect and, you know, everything Mm -hmm. that was a lot of pressure, but more pressure that I was ready to deal with. Um, Cause I'd just gone through a whole season of blocking things out and, keeping my head down and going about my business. So when all these rankings came out, um, you know, all these people asked for interviews and stuff, I was ready for, to, to talk about, you know, how I'm just going to keep my head down and I'm just going to keep playing baseball. I could be ranked one, I could be ranked, you know, 1000, but that wasn't going to change how I played and how I went about um, both on and off the field. Right. I, and that's a perfect mindset to have because that's all you could really do is, is just try and do your best. Because mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2009 for your first season, I'm just going to list off the stats. I mean, you hit 296, seven home runs and 35 RBIs. And like you said, when the rankings started coming out, like for people who don't understand what baseball America is, like that's all the prospect rankings and pretty much everybody in baseball can see that. And you were ranked number 21. And Mike Trout was ranked number 50. And so really just looking at your name being sort of in the top 20, top 30, uh, what sort of like pressure did you feel about that hype? I, I mean, did, did you feel some sort of weight on your shoulders? And especially after that season, did you have in your mind like, well, I got I to gotta replicate this in some way? Absolutely. Um, you know, as much as I wanted to block everything out and, take care of what I needed to take care of and just keep playing the game I love. It turned into now there's thousands of people there watching every move I make, um, you know, just to see if I could perform. And that came with a lot of pressure, just wanting to live up to being the number 21 guy in the world. Um, Or the Red Sox number one guy in the system Um, that came with a lot of pressure, you know, the, the, the prospects, um, you know, bloggers and reporters and not only just the media people, but my teammates, because mm-hmm. there are these kids, you know, may not know me. They come in from college, they come in from high school and, you know, somebody says to them, that's Westmoreland. He's the number one guy. So automatically that person has in their mind, this kid's a stud. Like he's got to be good. He has to be right. good. Um, so I definitely dealt with that um, all the time. Um, but at the same time, it was like, you know, this, it is what it is. You know, I could be, I could be number 800 and getting, you know, people yelling at me and not yelling, but you know what I mean? Talking down about me and talking bad about me, which, which would have hurt my feelings, but as as a pro athlete, good or bad, you just got to roll with it and you just got to put your head down, like you keep saying, and, and do your best and, um that's all you can ask for that's all anyone can ask for so it was tough getting me the 19 20 year old having all this on my plate um but at the same time you know i was at a place like i'm on the i'm a pro baseball player and you know this is what happens and let's deal with it uh, and more that, i was in single a my first year so i was getting a lot of once you're going to be in the major leagues, like once you're going to get called up. Um, so that was a whole other thing to deal with because on top of everything that people are saying, they're also saying, you know, blah, blah, blah is in the outfield until Westmoreland's ready, you know, stuff like that. So I'm, you know, obviously nervous because I obviously have some serious hype to live up to um, if I want to go from single A to the major leagues. 
Right, exactly. And and I mean, you alluded to it earlier with, with, with the pressure of just being in Rhode Island. And, and so like, I mean, this started with the pressure of you getting drafted by the Red Sox, but now, now you're the number one guy of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so like, how is that feeling, especially coming back from your first season and, you know, seeing all those rankings come out, like, did people treat you differently in like your hometown or like where you, where you went around in the state or was, was it very similar to what happened? Like after you got drafted? Yeah. I mean, it was similar in a way to when I got drafted, but you know, after the first season, that's when I had, uh, that's when I was on TV all the time on the radio all the time. And, you know, so I'm getting people calling and texting me out of the woodwork, obviously. Um, but you obviously know, like I said earlier, you know, when you're at the dinner or doing whatever, you know, people were talking in the background, you know, that's Ryan Westmoreland and he's going to be the next guy at Fenway. And um, so that was, that was kind of weird. Uh, certainly nothing that I had dealt with in high school, you know, in high school. So I wasn't ready for that. Um but again, it was more about just proving those rankings right, you know, just doing what I do and, you know, show everyone why I was, you know, number 21 or whatever, you know, show them, show them why I was the Red Sox top guy. And if, if I didn't do well and it wasn't meant to be, it wasn't meant to be. And I wouldn't, you know, hang my head about that because I know I gave everything um, to this game that I have. So it was, it was it was kind of both worlds, you know. I felt a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I I had the blockers on, and I wanted to just play baseball. Right. I I feel like this is perfect perspective, not not only in your situation, but just in life. That that's something that I try to always keep in my mind is that everything happens for a reason, and we go through situations in our life to help us with other situations in the future. Uh, but I, I mean really with all that, like you're, you're essentially a celebrity in, mm-hmm. in New England. And, and at, you, you said it perfectly, 18, 19 years old, almost going into 20 years old. But I mean, at that time really must've been tough, but, and, and then especially going into your second year mm-hmm. uh, and then that's on the training. celebrity, that's on the celebrity status. Kind of, I got that feeling just cause right. getting drafted is one thing, but after that first year, that's when the, the celebrity status kind of came came about which obviously I was 19 I didn't want to I'm not a celebrity yeah. uh, but to the people around you in Rhode Island and I watched you play you know little league baseball and stuff they get that sense of well, he's he's going to be a celebrity or he already is and he's on the verge of you know stardom I guess you could say right yeah that that must have been really tough to be able to grasp at that age and then mm-hmm. I mean I mean just going into spring training and then having something happen where, where you're stretching and you just don't feel right. And then, you know, you got to go to the doctor, the doctors with the team doctors and get x-rays and figure out what is going on with you right now. And sort of what was your mindset um, through that? And, and when did you start feeling off um, going into, going into your second season? Yeah. Um, it would have been, it was probably late February of 2010. Um, so I had been there for about a month. Um, and you know, I was feeling great. I was feeling ready to go. Um, the rankings were what they were, but I was, you know, as driven as ever to make it to the major leagues, maybe not during that season, mm-hmm. maybe the year after, but put myself in a spot where, you know, I was on that verge and, you know, it could have gone either way, big leagues or still minor leagues. Um, but yeah, I was doing like a dynamic stretch and, and everything kind of went weak and numb. Um, so I was obviously like, what is going on? And, you know, at that point I had the thought of, you know, I think that maybe I'll be fine tomorrow, but maybe something's going to happen. I'm not going to play today, um, or this season. Um, so it was kind of a lot of um, being unsure. Um, I didn't really know what the future held until I got, you know, the MRI, the x-ray, all that, the medical stuff. Um, so that was kind of like a very confusing process just because I, I didn't really know exactly what the future was or it's not going to hold. Right. I, I bet. I, I mean, especially with just that feeling, I, I mean, 
Um, I, I read something where you were playing Call of Duty and your thumb just went numb. I mean, that must have been scary as hell, especially at your age with all that pressure, with all that hype around you. You're like, wait, I'm supposed to go out here and and show these people that that, that these stats weren't just a fluke. Exactly. And, and, and then now and then, and then now you're going in and getting x-rays mm-hmm. and uh, and then you get diagnosed uh, with this disease called Gavornis malformation and and you're hearing that if this doesn't get treated right, then you could be blinded, paralyzed, or even die. And mm-hmm. um, for people who have, who have never heard what this is, you just give them a brief description and just really what was your sort of first reaction when, when you heard it? Yeah, so, you know, the, the cavern smell formation or angioma, or, you know, there's a lot of different terminology for it. It's like a, you know, a tangle of a blood vessel. So it's like a blood clot. Um, and mine was on my brainstem, which is the worst place you could possibly have it. Um, cause it affects, you I mean, you think about the brainstem, it, it has all those nerves and, and functions that go through there. So because of where that was, you know, so many things could have been affected. Like you said, paralyzed, die, um, you know, like it went down to things like you could have the hiccups for the rest of your life. Stuff like that, just you wouldn't think about. But, you know, there's so much that runs through that area that controls so much. So it was was obviously the worst spot it could be. Um, So, but that was tough because when I got diagnosed, that's kind of what I realized I'm not going to play. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have the mindset like I'm never going to play again because I did. And I was very motivated. I was very driven to get to the major leagues. but I knew, I knew that something was going on and something, it was very serious. Um, and again, a 19, 20 year old kid, like not a whole lot of 20 year olds are Red Sox top prospect and have this crazy rare brain disease, you know? So it was, it was, it was tough. And, you know, I felt like I was letting people down, but um, at the same time, it was serious, and I I had to mature even more, and I did. Um, but it was it was a tough time, not only for me, but for my family and and friends and community where I grew up that were all supporting and rooting for me every night. Um, it was it was a tough tough um, you know few months, just kind of that unsure what was gonna you know if I was gonna make it or if I was gonna get back to baseball or if I was gonna wake up you know what I mean like it was just there was just a lot going on to process and um you know we did and thankfully everything worked out and um, we moved on from there and you know just obviously very grateful for you know the medical staff I had out there in Phoenix I had the, the surgery out in Phoenix Arizona so very grateful for the care I had out there and support and stuff like that. That meant a lot for a, you know, 20 year old kid. Oh yeah. 100%. And especially with just having supportive people around you in, in such an unknown and scary time um, is always super important. And um, when you were just talking about that, I just got a flashback of, of uh, watching the report on Nesson about mm-hmm. it. And um, I, I remember just to, like, I was, I was, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, and I remember my jaw dropped. I was like, holy crap. Like, um, like I, I couldn't even imagine going through something like that. And how were you able to keep a positive mindset in that situation, especially just going into that first surgery? Well, I mean, I, 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 I think the, the reason I could ultimately stay so positive is because I had this lifelong goal pretty much of playing for the Red Sox um and I was a very I was an athletic kid I was very motivated very driven um so right after that surgery when I started on you know therapy my my ultimate goal was to make it back to Fenway because not only because I always wanted to but because I was in um you know uncharted waters like no one had ever done this no one had ever even come close um so that was another thing that obviously pushed me um but at the same time you know I felt I felt like you know here I am after this big traumatic thing and you know I don't want to let people down I don't want people that have been supporting me I want them to see that I'm going to be positive and maybe I don't make it back to the pro baseball level but they're going to see me undergo something as traumatic as I did 
and come out on the other side, you know, optimistic and positive and, and, um, and a good, you know, headspace. And, you know, that's what I did. It was tough at first because you go from, you know, being this elite athlete, you know, top of your game in baseball, you know, I'm one of the top prospects in baseball to all of a sudden it taking you 15, 20 minutes to tie your shoes, you know, stuff, stuff like that, like little things that you wouldn't even think of all of a sudden became like unbelievably hard. Um, so that was hard to deal with, but at the same time, I was in a spot where I had to force myself to, to be more mature and to accept the fact that whatever happened, happened. And there's nothing I can go back and do about it. Um, it's just one of those things that, you know, they always say like, God doesn't heal or doesn't deal cards to people that can't handle them. Um, and you know, that was the card that I was dealt. And, you know, I had, I wanted to just be optimistic, be positive, keep my head up and, you know, come out on the other side. Right. And that's a perfect way to look at it. And um, you said it perfectly. I mean, you had, you had to relearn pretty much every single simple task. Like yeah. you said, just tying your shoes took, took a good amount of time, like double probably what it, what it did before. And just that sort of experience, just doing simplistic things to where you were able to easily do it for 20 years of your life before that yeah. must've been very frustrating at first. And um, for people who are players who have, um, are coming back from bad injury. What advice do you have for them that really helped you get through that tough time? Man, you know, take it a day at a time because I learned, you know, obviously in, in sports and baseball, you see guys get like Tommy John surgery or rotator cuff, which is certainly not of the same kind of surgery as, you know, brainstem surgery. Um, but I, I learned through my, my rehab prospect process, there's, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. And I'll tell you right now, there are days that I said, I'm never going to play baseball again. And there were days that said, you know, that I said to myself, you know, I'm ready to go take batting practice, stuff like that. So being able to look back and say, you just take it slow, take it a day at a time, um, whether it's those good or bad days, just keep the same mindset, you know, even if you're frustrated at, at whatever it is, rehab. And, you know, I've been there. I'm, I've seen guys with Tommy John really frustrated. Um, just, you know, turn the page, just move on to that next day because that bad day might turn into a good one the next day. Um, you never know. And um, so that, that would be what I, if I could look back and, and or if I could tell someone, you know, how I got through it, what I got through is just take it slow, take it a day at a time. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's all a process. And, you know, sometimes in our minds, uh, we set like timestamps or dates when, when, when things are supposed to happen. And we're like, why is this not getting better at this time? Um, but just like you said, take it day by day. It's all a process. And mm -hmm. with all that struggle, being able to come back, like really, like you, you said it perfectly, like there's some days where you where you felt like I'm never going to play baseball again. And then there's some days where you're super motivated. And yeah. how were you able to keep that drive and motivation even through all the frustrations? Yeah, it was hard. It was certainly harder at first because like I, I said to you, I was a guy that, you know, one day could hit about 500 feet and the next day I was, it took a while to tie my shoes. So certainly at the beginning was like, what is happening? Why me? Right. What is going on? And why is this not, you know, because I wanted to be, I was 20 years old. I wanted to snap my fingers and get back on the baseball field. Right. Um, but over the course of time, the rehab process, I, I realized that it's not going to happen. I'm not just going to wake up and be, you know, back in center field in front of thousands. Um, I knew I had to understand that it was a process. Um, and, and the way I was able to, to, you know, forget those bad days, move forward is because I had a lot of dates in rehab where I broke through, um, you know, or broke into a milestone. Like I did something that would, that would let me believe that I was going to play again. And some days it was literally screwing on a bottle cap, you know, and that was, that was weird time. That's really hard for me. It's really hard. So when I was able to do that in a short amount of time, 
I said, you know, those frustrating days, they're worth it because as frustrated as I was dealing with that, now I know what it feels like to actually complete that. And that's just, you know, screwing on the bottle cap. Um, it's same goes for taking batting practice. I remember rehabbing and, and being frustrated and frustrated every day. And then I got out there with a pitching machine or with somebody throwing batting practice and didn't even need to swing the bat to be like, you know what, all those days of just sitting in the training room, you know, working on my eyesight, all that stuff, that was worth it. As frustrating as it was, it was worth it because now I'm out here, you know, taking swings. And so it's little, little, you know, little things like that, that really helped me um, because it gets really, like, like keep saying, it gets really frustrating like day after day after day yeah. with not a whole lot of progress. But then when you do do something as successful or as, as big as batting practice or, you know, playing catch, stuff like that, it makes all those tough days worth it. I, I, I 100% bet. And uh, it, it's incredible as well that you were able to come all the way back from that first surgery, be able to play a little bit uh, in the Dominican Instructional League uh, in 2011. And then um, obviously the, you got the unfortunate news that you had to get a second surgery and that the brainstem um, or, or that it reformed. And uh, that must have been really tough to hear that news. And, and, as, and especially with with you waking up after that second surgery, uh, being deaf in your right ear and blind in your left eye. Um, like what was your immediate reaction right after that? And, and I mean, that's, that must've been super tough at first to look at it in a positive light. Cause you're like, I just went through all of this and now I got to do it all over again, but even harder. Exactly. And that, that's, that's exactly why it wasn't positive just because I had worked so hard to get to where I was and here we go. I had the mindset of, okay, we got, I got to do this again. Um, so that was obviously really tough to hear when I was going to have to go back out to, to Arizona. Um, but yeah, what's, once I woke up from that second surgery, I could have told you within three minutes, I'm not going to play baseball again. Like, no, there's 0% chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried, you know, I tried because I was driven. I was very motivated. I wanted to do, I wanted to be the best. And so, that's, you know, I tried, I did. Um, but at the same time, it was hard. It was the, you know, the, the why me, you know, mindset was bigger than ever because, you know, not only why did I have to go through this once, why is a 20 or 21 year old kid have to go through this twice? You know what I mean? And like I said to you before, I was at one point, this, elite like ridiculously good athlete so why am i you know sitting in the hospital bed in arizona like why am i having to deal with what i'm having to deal with instead of just being a kid and playing baseball you know what i mean so um that was that was really tough and that that was that got to a pretty dark place because that why me was very prominent because not only was I thinking, you know, why me, why me, why me? I was in a place physically where I couldn't move. And I was, you know, on the couch all day because I couldn't, I physically couldn't walk yet. Um, so that was, that was tough because sometimes when you get in these, these mindsets, one of the best things you can do is distract yourself, you know, go out for a run, go out for a walk. For me, you know, take batting practice or, you know, play catch, just something to, to ease your mind, to do something. Um, but where I was physically was I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't do anything besides sit on the couch and, and watch TV. And of course I, of course I found out some videos of me heading on YouTube. So obviously I was watching that nonstop. Um, but eventually I got out of it and, you know, there was no magic cure. There was just, you know, talking to my family, talking to my friends, mm-hmm. um, understanding that what I went through was, was meant to be. For as unfortunate as it was, there's nothing I could have done about it. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, I accidentally, you know, bumped my head or did something stupid and, and this happened. This is something that I was born with. They call it, you know, like a birthmark. It's just something that you have and 
mine unfortunately bled and that's what causes everything um so it was it was tough to deal with especially being such a young kid um but at the same time it was you know do i want to do do i want to just shut it down and end it all right now or do i want to turn this and spin it to what i'm doing now to raise awareness and you know when people see me at the gym now they're i cannot even believe you're here like you were you couldn't even move like a few years ago and here you are lifting weights just things like that to show people that Mm -hmm. you know you can go through the worst of the worst but if you have a positive mindset and you're you're out there to to you know to show who you are as a person um that means a lot to people around and you know i've had people come up to me all the time and say just the fact that you're walking around and coach i coach baseball now and it's like just the fact that you're out here is like no one even expected that like no one expected you to even be able to do anything never mind you know give back to the community be in good shape all these little things that kind of defied the perception of what people thought this brain surgery was going to lead to and it could have it very easily could have led to that but i chose to take a path that would that would hopefully inspire others and mm-hmm. show people that you know just a positive mindset is can be such a game changer oh yeah oh yeah that's huge and uh i mean obviously through that process it must have been tough for you to be able to get to that place but it, it's it's amazing that you're that you now have the mindset of you know it happened so now i'm able to help other people who could be going through a similar situation mm-hmm. or even even just really obviously not as amplified, but just other people who might be down in the dumps or other people who might be going through tough things. And I, I've had a lot of people, or I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, failure or losses as no, it's a lesson. And now you're able to help influence other people and change other people's lives through your experiences. Mm-hmm. But, but you brought up the, the mindset of, of the why me. And uh, I mean, that must have been super tough to be able to get over that perspective and mindset, especially at such a young age where your dream literally got ripped away from you for, right. like you said, nothing you did, it, you were born with it. And so mm-hmm. how were you able to really grasp that mindset and, you know, implement it into your life? Yeah, I think, you know, like we were talking about that, the dark place, I think the thing that even made it worse was, you know, these kids that I had, gone up the ranks of the minor leagues with uh, you know Jackie Bradley, Anthony Rizzo, Casey Kelly, all these guys, they're making their major league debut right. at the same time as I'm going through all this. So I hit on top of the why me was uh this could have been me like out there with them with Jackie and with with um you know Middlebrook Will Middlebrooks and a lot of those guys that I had become really good friends with we're all getting that that moment of making it, you know, making it to the major leagues and that that. So that was tough for me because I was like, gosh, you know, I'm so happy for them, the Rizzos and all these guys that are having, you know, ridiculous success, like you know Mookie and and. Um, but at the same time, it was like, you know, that could have been me out there with them, um, you know, seeing Jackie and saying, you know, I could be out there with Jackie right now, or you know, things like that. So that made it tough. Um, so I actually didn't watch baseball for months just because it was too hard because these are my legitimate friends, not teammates, just they're my friends that I was obviously thrilled that they got the call, but at the same time, I wanted to be the guy that gets the call too. Um, so that was tough. So I didn't watch baseball. I didn't watch really TV, uh, cause baseball was my life. So that's like oh, kind of all I watched. Um, so I, had, I had, that's kind of when I was faced with that, that those two different paths, the uh, give up and shut it down or, you know, or use what I went through to help others if you can. Um, and I chose that. And then I'm grateful. Obviously, I'm grateful I'm still here and, and doing well. Um, but it was tough because here's not only was I, you know, why me attitude mentally it was tough, but physically I still couldn't do anything. I still couldn't move around. I still couldn't, you know, distract myself. So it was tough. Um, you know, so, but, you know, being an, as hard of a worker as I was, as motivated as I was, 
I did as much, you know, therapy and I did everything you can ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it as hard as I possibly could every day, you know, 365 days a year. Um, and here I am today, you know, I got my, you know, I'm coaching college, I'm coaching high school, um, you know, working out seven days a week. I'm doing all these things that at one point were not possible. Or I mean, they were possible, but they certainly weren't expected of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously very grateful for that. And, you know, and here I am now with a wife and a, and a child. So things are, things are great. And, you know, it's been, um, you know, it's been about 10 years um, since all this one, this, this all happened. And, you know, I'm better than ever. I'm mentally in a good space and um, I can use what I went through to, to help others. And whether that's, you know, cancer or, a brain bleed like I had or just how to bad dad the plate, you know, coaching, you know, I can use what I went through and these lessons that I've learned to, to help others. And that's what I try to do. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And it, it must've been obviously getting to this place where you said you're essentially in one of the best places in your life right now. Obviously that took a whole process to get there. Mm-hmm. And now looking back at, like you said, almost 10 years now, um, I'm curious what you would say to your 22 year old self today. Um, and it, it must be pretty cool. Like thinking back on how everything is really unraveled to where it is today. Yeah. Well, if I could, if I could look back and, and I would just say, take it. I mean, I said this earlier, but just take it slow, you know, whatever's going on, just take it one day at a time. And, you know, if I could look back at my, brain you know before brain surgery i'd say that before i got drafted i would say that just take it slow because you know block out the noise and just do what you have to do and take it one day at a time because you know as an 18 year old they had to take it slow because you know all the media all the the expectations of me um obviously with the brain surgery side of things take it slow you know take rehab one day at a time there's like i said there's going to be hard days there's going to be better days, mm-hmm. um, but don't let anything get ahead of you. You know, don't rush anything. Yeah. Just take it day by day. Do things as, as they were meant to be done. Um, and obviously stay, stay positive, stay optimistic, um, because there is light at any end of the tunnel. And it's just, it's going to be, it's going to come on, come down to how you deal with it. You're going to deal with adversity, you know, whether you're a baseball player, whether you're a student or in work, you're going to deal with some sort of adversity. Right. Um, it's just how you handle that, that that's going to make you who you are. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm going to be remembered as, you know, somebody that went through all this and came out the other side. And so you got to think about how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as a person that rolled over and gave up when times get tough? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to be a guy that you know, when, when adversity came at you, you spun it and use it, use it to your advantage and came out of the other side. And, you know, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Right. Right. Completely agree. And, and, uh, you know, I always try to have the mindset of living in the moment. Um, I actually just got this bracelet and I, I, I look at it like every single day because there's so many times where we think about like what we have to do tomorrow, what's going to happen in the future. And that must've been in your mind as well. Like, how am I going to get over this? Like, how, how is any of this going to get better? And I exactly. bet, I bet you probably never imagined that, you know, life would be as good as it is today. And it's amazing that you've been able to, you know, get to this place and, for people who might be in a dark place, like you, you were at one point and are dealing with these thoughts, um, what advice would you have for them? And, and really what tactics worked for you um, to help you get to a better place and a better mindset? Yeah. You know, what helped me was just staying positive and never giving up. And that's what I'd say to, to anyone going through whatever they're going through is, mm-hmm. um, you know, just never give up because there's going to be, positives there's going to be negatives there's going to be you know a roller coaster of emotions um but if you if you stay driven you stay optimistic and positive and um never give up on whatever that goal is you're gonna you're gonna find your way out of that and that's what happened for me and you know hopefully i can inspire others to do the same because you know it makes a difference it lasts you know life lasting impact on 
is is how you deal with with conflict and adversity and what kind of a person you are after that 100 agree i i uh i always try to look at different situations and take a little bit of a bird's eye view perspective of it of just like you said having that positive perspective and I've I've thought of more about more simplistic things um, each day over these last few months of just like I woke up today I'm breathing mm-hmm. you know I have a car I have a job like other other people are might not be able to have these amenities that I do and and just yeah. looking at your life and, and remembering what you're grateful for. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was you know my my life has been just that roller coaster I tell you about you know there. 18 year old kid getting drafted, going to make the major leagues, mm-hmm. you know, still on the rise. Like after that first season, like he's going to make it to all of a sudden brand surgery, number one. Right. And then it was coming back from that brand surgery. I might actually make it to all of a sudden brand surgery, number two. So it was kind of an up, down, up, down kind of thing. So, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to be really good things that happen that, then all of a sudden you might get that rug pulled out from under you, which, which unfortunately I did twice. Um, but it really comes down to how you deal with it and how you, you, you're thankful for what you do have. And, and for me, it was breathing, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was, it was, I was thankful for baseball, but I was more thankful just to be alive and now to be able to spread the message and, and help inspire others. It's that bird's eye view where you're just so grateful for, for what you do have. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that others don't have, don't have what we have, don't aren't as lucky as some of the other people are. And it's, mm-hmm. it's all about, you know, taking things one day at a time, taking, having that perspective of, you know, I'm just thankful for what I do have. Right. And that's huge. I think that's huge for everybody to, to remember because there's so many times, even during COVID, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have the why me when in all reality, right. the whole world is dealing with this. But but uh, we we've brought up uh, only two years, two of your surgeries so far. And, and just for the people listening, um, you've undergone 17 related brain surgeries so far. Um, yeah. And, and that's something where it must have been very important for you to have a strong support system around you for those people to keep you up, you know, family and friends and that type of stuff. And um, I was just wondering how important was that support system around you? And how were you also able to, you know, decipher which people to keep around, which people to keep close and which ones might not be as genuine as maybe others? Yeah. The, the, the friends and family that, that really stuck out as, you know, supporting and, being the support system that I needed and people in my situation absolutely need. Um, you know, we talked earlier about those distractions and, and things to kind of get your mind off of what's going on. Um, those are the friends that really stood out to me is, mm-hmm. you know, the guys that would, would come over and, and take the out to do something or just sit, you know, sit next to me and just talk, you know what I mean? Cause you need that. You need, you need some form of, communication and a bond with another person and you know I was lucky enough all of my friends were were like that and I didn't have a lot of guys that I say you know I would say I see your true colors and you might not be the kind of friend that I thought you were I was lucky because I had a lot of friends that were that were there for me and family the same way And, and obviously Libby wasn't around for the surgeries but um all these people kind of have a good understanding of what I went through and what my mental, you know, side was during all of this. Cause they kind of imagined like, I can't, you know, I can't believe what he's going through or what he had gone through. So I know what, how important the support system is to something like that. And, you know, they obviously learned, like I learned, you know, how to deal with stuff, how, um, what I went through and, you know, what that entailed. But at the end of the day, they they just wanted me to be happy and and to to carry on about my life and mm-hmm. um, just be you know the the kid that they grew up with. To be honest, right, and and that and that must have been super duper helpful, especially with keeping that positive mindset. And the only reason I ask is because you, as I bet you can guess it with other people who who 
like you were a celebrity, like, like we talked about earlier in, in Rhode Island. And so there must have been a lot of people, like you said, coming out of the woodworks who were like, hey, Ryan, how's it going? We haven't talked since high school. We haven't talked since middle school. Yep. And like, it's good to hear that you had some genuine friends there to be able to help you throughout those situations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was I mean, that was I was very lucky in that in that regard, because, you know, here I am before all this with the reporters in my front yard um you know all over the place and people asking for autographs everywhere I go all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so all of a sudden going through what I went through and I wasn't getting any you know people like latching on like requesting interviews or anything like that it was just more like how are you doing right. like uh, like your baseball aside how are you doing mm-hmm. and that meant a lot to me because you know I was kind of fixated on the baseball thing because I always had been but it was nice to see that others genuinely cared about me as a person, not just me as, you know, the Red Sox prospect. Right. Yeah, that, that must have been huge. And, and as well as just uh, being able to overcome those thoughts of what next? Like you, you talked mm-hmm. about it, um, how you want to go towards influence, be, influencing people and helping people learn from your experience. And last thing that I, I was just wondering was, uh, like for people who might have a similar situation where, um, you know, their dream might be ripped from under them, or, you know, there's just a sudden change in their life where, you know, their purpose changes. Um, how are you able to really figure out what means a lot to you and what you're hoping to do with this life and help this world in some way, shape or form? Yeah. Well, you know, I always tell people, you know, now being a college coach and, and baseball coach and, I always tell my players, you know, baseball is going to end at some point. You might be, you know, 20 like I was, or you might be 45, like, like you know, 50, like Tom Brady's going to be when he has to hang him up. Um, but it's going to end, you know, sports are going to end. Um, but you got to, you got to think about, like I said before, that lasting impact, like what are people going to remember you by? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, Major League All-Stars are, yes, they're great at baseball and they're the best at what they do. But at some point or another, baseball is going to end and they're going to have to be in person and they're going to have to meet people and talk to people and mm-hmm. you know, not be on a little field in front of 50,000 people. They're going to have to, you know, talk and and be a human being. And so I was saying to my players, baseball aside, how do you want to be remembered? That's why... I preach, you know, character and being respectful of elders and the umpires and the other team. Um, Because I always say, like, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as the kid that didn't really talk, but was really good at baseball? Or do you want to be the kid that was good at baseball, but is also an incredible kid that people love and want around them? And um, so that's what I say to my guys, whether they're 22 years old or you know, the high school kids at 15 years old, I'm like, listen, it matters. Character matters. And you want to, you want to leave an impression when you leave this game about more than just your athletic ability. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing to really grasp on. And I I heard this thing that Kevin Hart said in in the Joe Rogan podcast of what does your book look like? Every, Every chapter in our life is a different chapter in our book. And do you want it to just be one long chapter or do you want it to be multiple chapters where you're able to help influence people? And really, I just try and keep the same mindset. We're all trying to figure out what the heck is going on in this life. Right. We, all, we all have no clue what this is. So we're just really just trying to live this thing to the fullest. Right, right. Yeah. And like you said, just turn the page, like yeah. new start, new chapter. When, when base for me, when baseball is over, it's time to turn the page and start a new chapter. And mm-hmm. for some, it's, you know, college and then entering the workforce. And it's same thing, turn the page. Now it's time to start over, start something else. And so that's, that's kind of what I had to do is take it page at a time and then, you know, start a new chapter and same thing. And, um, you know, it's worked out so far. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has. You, you, you've raised so much awareness uh, for this disease. And um, I re- really appreciate you coming on the show and really telling your story and sort of your experiences of overcoming um, that mental struggle of 
going through this uh, type of incredible journey. And uh, for people who want to learn more about Livornis malformation and want to help raise awareness and, you know, help towards the cause, uh, where can they go? They can go to Angioma. It's so angiomaalliance.org, um, A-N-G-I-O-M-A, alliance.org, um, basically raises money for, for research and, um, you know, because right now, what I had, the sangioma, there's no cure. And the only, you know, cure is brain surgery. And so there's no medicine you can take. There's no, um, there's nothing you can do about it besides, you know, have it surgically removed. And unfortunately, that's what I had to do. So I'm just trying to help and raise awareness so that eventually somebody gets diagnosed with what I had, they can you know, they can go through some sort of a treatment to help this and they don't have to be faced with the surgery or no surgery. And that's kind of the end all be all of that situation. So um, it's very important, you know, obviously very close to me, um, that organization, um, just we're trying to find a cure. We're trying to find something that's going to help because, you know, when surgery being the only the only form of of a cure is is certainly not enough because i was 18 when this happened and it could happen to 13 year olds and you know i know what it was like for me and my family and stuff so as much as we can do as much as we can do to to raise awareness and and money and Mm -hmm. um hopefully you eventually find a cure Right. That's definitely the goal. So everybody who's listening right now or watching, I'm going to put the description right on the screen and also in the description. Um, go and check it out. Do everything that you can to help because uh, that's it, it's it's so tough to hear that there's not a cure and that really the only way is surgery. And when you hear surgery, like <laughs> there's there's nothing exciting, fun about surgery, especially when it's on your brain. And mm-hmm. like what we've talked about is, is that it's, it's, it's a tough journey back to being to being able to be normal, but Ryan really appreciate you taking the time. And, um, I I've, I'm super inspired from this conversation. I hope everybody that's watching and listening is as well. Great. I uh, appreciate you having me on here. It's important stuff that you're doing. So it's, it's good. I'm happy to do it. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.